Did you enjoy that, Paul? This uh, 5-0 victory in Linz? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I happened to be... Like, you know, I said I wasn't going to be able to watch much of the game and I, I was not able to watch much of the game. But for some reason, four out of the five goals were scored in the 25 minutes total I did watch of that game, which was uh, fortunate timing. I mean, obviously... Well the, planned. The... the, the um, I mean, this, this is, I'm sure everyone's had the same experience, but there, it's such a surreal thing uh, for a, a football match, something at stake to be being played. I remember a few years ago during the Catalan election stuff, the Catalan referendum stuff, there was a Barcelona game played behind closed doors. And I remember watching that and finding it so odd, but also kind of fascinating to hear what people are shouting, basically. Right. Um, and... Uh, this this game i mean it, it, you know when the goal gets celebrated it's such a s- strange experience because i guess there's a lot of muscle memory in those goal celebrations but and and in a way it shows you how engaged the players still were but it, it's a very despite weird, there being no crowd yeah, it's a yeah. weird thing about a thousand united fans actually went out to austria many of them flying into vienna and taking the train over to Linz, uh, an expensive trip, which United will be refunding or paying up to £350 per person. Uh, and many of them gathered outside the ground, watching through a sort of grill metal gate, which they had a sort of view of the game. Right. You could hear them at some point. Right. I mean, it's dedication, although kind of mad because you get a much better view just watching it on the telly. Uh, yeah, obviously it's not about the view, is it? But the... The the kind of reason it's mad really is, hey, let's try and minimise the risk of spreading this terrible thing around and by saying that it's a good idea not for people to gather in massive groups. And then... Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, was, I was figuring we'd talk about this somewhat on this pod because, of course, it's the hot topic in football and, and the world mm-hmm. and everyone's office at the moment. But of course, many games this week in Europe have gone ahead with crowds. I mean, many, many of them. RB Leipzig versus Tottenham, for example, on Tuesday night went ahead with a full crowd in Germany where cases have really spiked. And then- so it's there's no consistency at all. I mean, I think we're going to get to some decisions quite soon because uh, France, Italy... Ireland, I'm assuming there's going to be an announcement from Germany soon. A uh, whole uh, Norway, whole bunch of countries have um, put in uh, a load of restrictions on both travel and mass gatherings and quarantine rules and so on. Like you know, so European football is is either going to be suspended for quite some time or played behind closed doors. I'm sure very soon. Yeah, I mean the you know the the Liverpool game had. Uh, was against Atletico Madrid, which is a place, again, where there's just a massive spike in cases in Madrid and the travelling fans were there in large numbers. And, you know, it's just, it's in, it's insane. The the lack of consistency is very frustrating and the, and the kind of, the lack of erring on the side of caution is very frustrating as well. Cause, cause... Sure, yeah. So so the government's argument to, to date, in fact, they said it today in the the press conference and the post-press conference briefing was that they suspect that one person who has it, and, and so far we've uh, we've had, what, 500 cases in the UK, 
can, on average, will spread to two other people. So, I mean, that's the formula for exponential growth, of course, which is what we've seen in Wuhan and and other countries. Uh, But I think what they're saying with that is it's extremely unlikely to be causing a mass outbreak just football, right? The amount of people that go to football versus the amount of people that just exist in society yeah, go and to work move and, around yeah. big cities on a day-to-day basis is, is completely different, right? So singling out mass gatherings, although they are extremely risky and a good way of spreading, at this moment, they didn't feel was necessary. Now, there's a, there's a report out in the Times tonight saying that uh, the Premier League may well action the government's directed action plan, which is to start playing games behind closed doors and streaming all the games to stop gathering in pubs and so on. We'll find out more, I guess, in the coming days. Right. Anyway, so this game was played in that backdrop. Yeah, and and of course, you know, um, uh, even the BT Sport commentator said this kind of like, kind of, does put football into perspective, which is which is I do which I do think is something that people do need to take a dose of every now and again. Uh, given given everyone's emotional investment in football, taking a little dose of like, hey, this is not life and death. Um, it's more important that or whatever the quote is. It's it's you know um, the the Shankly's quote. Yeah, the football itself. Um, Odi Nagalo. He's absolutely sick at football. I take it all back. He's brilliant. And oh yeah. So we know that he has some limitations, but I mean, this, he is a forever Man United cult hero. He's never, ever, we said this last time when um, someone on our Instagram was upset that you'd said that Henrik Larsson was 20 years ago. It was only 13 years ago. Um, but the, uh, the, the truth is this, this loan spell will be remembered by absolutely everyone for absolutely ever. Sure, and that absolute banger of a goal will be remembered for a long time too. I did see a quote on Twitter uh, purportedly from Paul Ince saying, oh, that doesn't really... Basically downplaying the quality of the goal, saying you only do that in training. You bitter, bitter, pathetic little... God, he's pathetic. Anyway, Odin Agalo, lovely assist from Bruno outside of the boot. Um, Got a bit lucky with the ricochet, of course for it to come back to him, then then found the the right pass, as he just keeps doing. And then, what was it? One, two, three, juggled from left to right to left and then just yeah. slapped it into the top corner. Ridiculous. Superb. S- so enjoyable. Now, the one girl that I haven't had a chance to see because we started recording as soon as the game finished um, was the Dan James goal. A Dan James goal! didn't know that that could happen when daylight savings uh when it was gmt um yeah i mean a nice nice break from united so in in the transition and uh, agallo um with the pass out to dan james on the left who who probably you know it's good good for him that he didn't just pass it straight back or look for to cut inside uh, and pass it because his confidence you'd expect to be low hasn't scored in months had uh, one good shot in the first half saved uh, well to uh, Schlager's l- left I'm trying to remember which way we were going at that point yeah well to Schlager's left um, and this one he 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 just took it on his own and he's he's on the the right backs 
right hand side, so the right back's trying to control him, and he just cuts inside and and you know bangs it in, like really clean finish, nice goal, good for him. I hope he's I hope that gives him a boosting confidence because he, he feels like he needs it actually. After the one was saved in the first half, he's sort of started berating himself, and I'm not surprised really because. I mean, he had that burst of goals in August, didn't he? And then his form really tailed off. And he's not been playing well, but uh, maybe this will kickstart him, you know, his season, if there's going to be a season. Uh, and he can he can get some good games under his belt from now until May. Yeah, I mean, he nearly did go the whole of GMT without scoring because it's, like, it's only like a week or something till the clocks go forward again. So he, he really likes it when... He likes late evenings. Light evenings, Dan James does, clearly. Right. Um, the uh, the Juan Mata goal was absolutely lovely. Was that another Fernando? No, that was Fred. Fred. Fred with a lovely through ball and Fred continuing his ascent to, like, I don't think we need to upgrade on Fred at this point. The The form's been there for such a long time that at this point it just looks like this is who Fred actually is when he's confident and has a defined role and a set position and all those kinds of things. No, that's fine. I think he's, uh, yes, absolutely. And he's, uh, him, I, I mean, I don't know whether him and Scott McTominay are too similar to playing the same side all the time without there being a reduction in creativity because none of them, neither of them are particularly creative, but great options uh, in the squad. Fernando's obviously settled in really, really well. Talk this week that Pogba may actually sign a new contract. <laughs> um, that that tells me I'm a cynic. Uh, I mean, of course, I'd love him to stay and be committed and stay fit and and all of that. I'm, I'm not quite sure he's earned a hundred grand a week pay rise. If I'm honest, much as I think he's a fantastic player, Boo, th- give Pogba money. Give Pogba I think money. A thirty percent pay rise is not exactly earned, <laughs> no. and probably the optics of that would not be that great with the fans but anyway we'll see we'll see it's all played out in the press these days I think I, my money would still be on him leaving in the summer yeah. anyway if, if it's not Pogba another creative midfielder United have got to have more than one progressive passer in the in the squad got to yeah um, but that's the making of a, a a some midfield options which should be good enough for Champions League qualification places and good enough to build on to you know seek our title bid in 2024-5 or something like that. The um, the the pass was beautiful and the finish. I mean, Matt, Matt has still got a lot to offer. I think in his in his way, um, I you know, it, in the right games, in the right setup, in the right teams. Uh, as I keep saying, I think he and Fernandez, you know, because he is a, he's another progressive passer. He's a, another creative player, but his, he took his finish very well, but not as well as the fourth goal. Where when the ball went through, I uh, I just wasn't paying that much attention. I didn't have the sound on. For a second, I thought it was Andreas Pereira, and I was like, mm. and then the finish. I was like, oh my gosh! And then I suddenly realised it was Mason Greenwood, and my brain kind of clicked into place, and the universe made sense again because Mason Greenwood is absolutely ridiculous. He's unbelievably good at putting the ball in the back of the net. <laughs> he certainly is, yeah. Nice ball from Tahis Chong. Some yeah. new contract this week, two years plus a year's option. Uh, interesting compromise on that one because normally you'd have a young player like that on a much longer contract. Obviously, he's been a bit 
you know, doubtful about whether United have a sporting plan for him, quote unquote. Uh, but some new contract celebrated with a, a sound assist. I mean, it's one of those assists that it's a ball into the channel. He's probably not expecting Mason to lash it into the corner. I mean, what's, or maybe what's, should expect Mason to lash it into the corner because that's what Mason does from any angle. What's better than a goal that goes off the inside? I mean, apart from a goal that go, un, comes off the underside of the bar, a ball that clips the inside of the post and almost like goes at such an angle it nearly hits the other post but goes it in. Did. Oh, yeah, right, there bang, you go. Bang, off both posts. Yeah. Well, the only thing better than that is if it goes off both posts and the crossbar. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, but, yeah, the uh, the Chong contract thing was interesting, and I, and I have to say I was completely taken by surprise. Like, I, I was fully expecting from all the reading of the tea leaves that was going on that, that you know, he was off to Inter, and that was pretty much done. I mean, yeah. Fabrizio Romano sort of saying that the Inter deal, Inter wanted to send him on loan... He didn't want to go on loan. So, I mean, I hope that he hasn't signed for United on a two-year contract as a sort of second choice. But No. So, I mean, yeah, a few reports kind of piecing them all together. Seems like Inter actually offered him more money than United did. And he will probably go on loan next season with United. But at least that's part of the plan, not just we're going to hoard young players and send them out. Because that's, that's what happens in Italy. You don't tend to historically and I think this is probably still true as a younger player you don't tend to get your break in the big clubs and certainly not with Conte uh, Inter he's he's playing out on loan for two or three seasons so uh, you know I still think he's made a wise choice there he's got lots and lots of development to do it's not obvious that he's definitely well no he's definitely not ready for the first team every week right now but the raw ingredients are there and I think the the people who hadn't really watched uh, much under 18s or un- under 23s football. I just wrote him off immediately after like three substitute appearances. J- j- we're just always talking nonsense. He's, he's got lots. Doesn't mean he's going to make it. He's got all the raw ingredients to be a very good player. And let's just see how he developed. At the same age, Andres Pereira looked great yeah. for the reserves yeah, too. Absolutely. And I think we'd probably all agree that Despite scoring an absolute banger, United's fifth, sort of. Yeah, sort like, of. is that a long a, way out? Is it um, a good goal? I'm not sure it's a good goal. I think it's like a shot he should never in a million years have taken that the keeper. And a big error leading to goal for the, the keeper. Yeah. yeah he chucked one uh, in. Anyway, despite scoring a fifth goal, uh, he's, he's, you know, I think we can all agree that he is probably not good enough for United and will never make it at United. And, and him moving on in the summer wouldn't be a, a bad option for all parties. Um, so did uh, did anything other than the goals? Uh, did, I mean, you know, I agree about Pereira, by the way. But like the the other thing is, as the redemption is showing us, redemption is possible. And the, you know, I know Pereira's had quite a lot of first team football, probably more than he's deserved. Well, definitely more than he's deserved on he's had a lot this season. Yeah, and it doesn't look like he's particularly growing into the role. We, I think, we saw a couple of green shoots occasionally. Um, Mate, you know, there might still be a player in there, but it, it doesn't look like it really. A bit like where Jesse Lingard's at, where you kind of think you have... Well, Jesse Lingard's had a lot more games, I suppose, and we sort of know kind of everything we're ever going to know about him, probably. I, I I just feel very reluctant to write people off, given that I would definitely have written Fred off 100%, and now he like he's brilliant. <laughs> Sure, yeah. And look, I hadn't seen Fred before he came to United, but he got very good scouting reports and and so on. And Kieran McKenna was apparently 
uh, intimately involved in recommending him. We have seen a lot of Andreas, though, not just this season for United, but two loans out in La Liga, which neither of which were particularly successful. And so I think three full seasons as a professional still not making it. There's quite a lot of evidence there that he probably won't. Now, of course, there there have been players that have been late developers before, but on the uh, sort of preponderance of evidence basis, you know, not putting the black cap on and writing his career off or anything like that, but uh, I think probably not going to make it at United. Doesn't look top level by any stretch of the way. I mean, this is obviously not a radical idea that Andreas Pereira doesn't quite look good enough for Man United. I think that's literally every person on every social media platform has said yes. a version of that. Not, in not a new idea. Anyway, look, a really sound win for United. Uh, like, really, kind of weird, and I don't know whether it was just the atmosphere, but actually the performance felt quite flat for a lot of that, and that sounds weird for United scoring five, albeit three of them coming in the last ten minutes, last eight minutes or so. Um, but it was just it was a very slow game, and not a lot of intensity. United always in control. Even even when uh, you know even before Gallo scored that that the opening goal, I think and just felt like one of those European games that we've had a few times this season away from home. Quite a lot of changes, not huge amounts of fluency. United didn't make that many passes in this game, sub four hundred, which is which is quite low for a top level team. You know, just not huge amounts riding on it. Obviously, very comfortable because they're quite a few levels above uh, Lintz here. And and in the end, it showed. And I guess in the home game, United can play, make even more changes and, and play even more of the younger players, in theory. Yeah, in theory, in multiple different ways. In in theory, both in terms of whether that's how Solskjaer choose to play. And you'd think he would. Um, but also, in theory in kind of it's I wonder if part of the reason it's flat is because it's really hard to know what's riding on it because it must be very weird for the players to kind of I mean obviously their their approach and everything they say will all be like we're getting on with it as normal and blah 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 and all that but you know just so so surreal for them to play in those empty stadiums and also to be thinking is there really going to be a Europa League final this season seems hard to played in an empty stadium <laughs> yeah it's, it seems it seems hard to imagine because you know like in Italy they started playing all the games behind closed doors and then they have moved quite quickly to the season being completely suspended um yeah which is an interesting choice I mean obviously the outbreak there is pretty severe I mean uh 30 odd times more cases than in the UK Right now, but the UK is two weeks behind or something like that. Um, so we may well get a huge spike in lots of European com- uh, countries coming. Uh, and it doesn't seem like this is actually going to end soon. So uh, at my work, we've we got a briefing from the World Health Organization. In fact, the head of the World Health Organization uh, spoke with our, um, our CEO today. Uh, and got quite a lot of good information out of that. So it seems like he's going to go for a long time. UK government say, today said peak wouldn't be until 12 to 14 weeks' time, is what they're predicting. Doesn't mean, you know, for whatever that's worth. So, um, But the modelling's you know, been it, pretty accurate so far. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of good modelling. Yeah, we're, we're uh, at work. We're always uh, logging into the Johns Hopkins University uh, map pretty, pretty grim 
viewing, I have to say. So uh, uh, anyway, a long preamble to say that, yes, it wouldn't be a surprise if, if the whole European season was suspended like they have done in Italy. They've suspended temporarily in, in Spain, I think I'm correct in saying, and behind closed doors in France. Um, then again, if it's very clear that there will be no mass gatherings and no travel available, you could finish the season behind closed doors. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about the timeline is it, it, people have su- suggested suspending for a month or two. Yeah, it but that's... not be long enough. No, I don't think there's any evidence that it would be, is there? You know, it doesn't seem based on the current information. And so, like, one one of the things I wanted to say about this, which is, you know, a slightly broader point, um, is that, you know, I wouldn't... You wouldn't catch me for the life of me logging into... John Hopkins University thing and watching the numbers like I just would never do that but also it is it is a bit day to day yeah um <laughs> the death ticker yeah but also I um I think that the kind of uh the inaction approach the kind of oh it's all just media hype and da 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 is clearly nonsense like Eric Cantona beloved Manchester United legend Eric Cantona put a thing on his um, Instagram with like the numbers of deaths from tuberculosis and you know all of these kind of things and it's like I think this is a this is actually not the time to make that point the point about media hysteria needs to be made but one of the reasons it needs to be made is because of the boy who cried wolf problem because in this situation what we actually have is a situation where panic and desperation and fear are not the response that we need because that's never the response we need um but actually, this is something where erring on the side of caution is profoundly the right thing to do. Co- correct, yes. And and the, all the public health advice is that you make you make all these decisions to socially distant. Of course, you know, you, you're a person with a long history of socially distancing yourself. No, I'm kidding. I don't get that. Right. <laughs> bad, bad joke, bad joke. Yeah, I was uh, making fun of you. Okay. Billy no well, I, I feel like that is a particularly unfair criticism of me. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Um, yeah, but the listening public don't, do they? Uh, anyway, a fairly um, high percentage of them do, because <laughs> unlike you, I've actually gone and met them. That's true. Yeah, but what have you passed on, Paul? Mm-hmm. What, yeah, what have you a, passed on? That is on? a good question. Uh, yes. So, public health officials, in fact, in Germany, said that they they expect forty to seventy percent of the population to get it. Um, it's not obvious yet whether this thing mutates. So, whether the Herd immunity, which the UK government believes that we can uh, achieve here, is even possible, right? So the seasonal flu mutates, cold viruses mutate, uh, and so on. So um, I, anyway, we're very long public health talk here. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I think uh, it's... Abundance of caution does make sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then again, life does go on. Sure. And and us all locking ourselves in our room to slowly go mad, having to watch daytime TV, uh, of which you sadly will not be part. Uh, oh yeah, then my audition for the chase got cancelled. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's gutted, uh, gutted, unbelievably gutted. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so life does go on. So and, and so there's a decision to be made about whether if if uh, mass gatherings are not going to happen, I suspect they won't happen in the UK for much longer. Whether um, just playing behind closed doors isn't the most sensible way to just proceed anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's it's very surreal and, and I kind of get the argument that says football is for the fans, what is the point? But, you know, 
I mean, it's not just like what's riding on it. That that doesn't matter. But like, not least of which, actually, if you can do it without mass gatherings and stuff, it's quite a good way to provide some entertainment for some people. And, you know, the football clubs can really manage well the transport and travel and the exposure of the players and the staff and all that sort of thing. Although why Alan Keegan was taken to Austria to announce in an empty stadium is perhaps a little questionable when it comes to necessary versus unnecessary travel. Um, yeah, Alan Keegan, what he is playing tricks on me there because it really sounded like him. Uh, yeah, I, doing the English announcement. Uh, you, you're not the only person that I heard say that it was him. So I, I think okay, it, pretty sure that was him. We're really surreal. Yeah. They shipped him out to Austria to. <laughs> and today's attendance is <laughs> zero. <not. laughs> um, I was thinking also, like, even if the football gets suspended, we'll keep doing these twice a week. We'll just keep because people people oh. need something to listen to. So. We'll talk about yeah, old games I, I did think and to stuff. myself, uh, part, part of the way through reading stories today, God, if Euro 2020 gets cancelled, what are we going to talk about? Or someone we're committed to doing two of these from mid-May until mid-August. <laughs> That's a hell of a chunk of the year to be rambling on about the transfer market. I don't think this, this is definitely an off-air conversation, right? But have we, like, seriously committed to doing two shows a week during the summer? I don't know, I don't know if we have or not, but... We'll, We'll come back to that. If there's nothing, there's no other entertainment. We'll just we'll just do the bonus content that we normally do, but just for everyone. So it'll just be like us talking about space and uh, <laughs> yeah, various other, Star Trek and various other things, politics. Um, maybe not that one. Anyway, yeah, that's the Lynx game. Anything else to to say? No, I mean I, I really enjoyed those goals, and also part of me was just like, well, better enjoy this while it lasts because uh, might have a little bit of an extended break from football for a while. So we might. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. Oh, well, um, right now I suggest we take a very short break and then come back and talk about what the Tottenham game and a clash with Jose. Boo. hope you're enjoying the no question about that podcast we are open for sponsorship so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show just drop us an email at nqatpod at gmail.com so we both that was not planned we both just simultaneously heard the word jose and started booing um, it's, it's like a pavlovian reaction that one isn't it <laughs> yeah and the irony is if i was at the game uh, the Tottenham game, if, if the fans were allowed, and I got a ticket, both of which are very unlikely, and I saw him, I'd be, I'd be applauding him. I'd be doing the, you know, the United fan thing. But here, in the comfort of my own podcast, I'm just going to boo him because he's an absolute villain and a rotter. He is. I was talking to a Spurs fan, uh, saying, "Hmm, I, I've seen this picture before," and uh, Jose complaining about injuries, making out like. The world is against him and everything's unfair and he couldn't possibly, possibly pick a team that could win a game, turning uh, turning everything toxic, turning the fans against each other. <laughs> it's, it's just incredible. It's like his period at Chelsea took, what, five years to get to that point, first time round. It it I don't think it was five years. I think he was there for two and a half seasons. First time. Yeah, I don't think he was there five years. When did he leave for Madrid? Could be, I could be wrong. I, thought he left I, th for, I think he, he won the left for Inter in like two thousand nine. So ten, nine, yeah, yeah. Came two thousand four, so or five oh. or something like that. Anyway, my point was that the 
the ascent towards Jose-ness is accelerating. The half-life is is getting shorter each time. Uh, and it took, what, 18 months for it to get toxic at United and for him to, yeah, and, and two years for it to really ramp up or whatever. Uh, and it's taken f- five months at Spurs for him to absolutely start to melt the place down. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure. I couldn't guarantee that he'll be back at Spurs next season. Yeah. I, I mean, if he doesn't get the signings he wants, and he won't because it's Spurs, he's going to go apoplectic. Um, yeah. I just looked it up because I thought there's absolutely no way Jose Mourinho was at Chelsea for five years because there's absolutely no way he could ever have sustained five years anywhere, even at his peak. And it was 2004 to 2007. So it's like, it it, it was literally just three seasons because they won the league twice. Then they lost it to us and he did the chin up to the fans, you know, and then that's when he fell out with Abramovich, went to Inter. Um, he is, the, the half-life's getting shorter. And in a way, I'm really glad because I think he's just... Um, I think the kind of short-term success that he has got at various different points in his career and at a very high level of short-term success has never, ever been worth the price that was paid. And I'm not talking about the style of football because as has been widely discussed, Real Madrid scored over 100 goals that season and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the interpersonal thing, the the fact that this kind of managing through toxic masculinity, this kind of management through conflict, you know, he gave this um, this interview, which I, I caught yesterday before the, the Spurs game which against Leipzig, where they were pathetic, by the way. Um, and it was about Andomele and the, the stuff he'd said about Andomele and um, how he said, it's not me against Andomele, it's me for Andomele. And I'm like, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Like, you think it is. I think he genuinely kind of believes that this is his way of getting the best out of players. But has he not noticed that this has not worked since he worked with a bunch of old, angry Italians and Argentinians in Inter Milan? Like, since then, he has not been able to get the best out of a squad of players at any point. I mean, even when they won the league with Madrid, that squad was so ridiculously good, you know. So anyway, uh, yeah, he's rubbish. He is, and and they've been rubbish recently. I mean, Spurs haven't won since they beat Villa a month ago. They lost to uh, Leipzig, Chelsea, Wolves, Norwich, albeit on penalties, Drew with Burnley, got smashed by Leipzig again. I mean, they were so comfortably beaten by Leipzig. Nagel, Nagelsmann said this afterwards. He's like, I don't mean to be rude, but how do I say this? It was really easy. It was. It just looked like a training match for Leipzig. And like... I, I've said this a number of times. Um, I said this to you and, and someone else. Uh, I don't actually have very many football opinions outside of United. Like, I think I think Eden Hazard's good. That's one of my quite strongly held football opinions that you disagree with, I know. I've seen his stats um, this season. Yeah, he's having a rough time of it for reasons. But my other football opinion that I hold quite firmly that's not United related is that Hugo Lloris is not very good. And uh, he made a couple of absolutely shocking attempts at saving stuff. Is, is uh, that the first time you've ever criticised a French player? I think it might be. <laughs> no, it is not. 
<laughs> outrageous accusation. Um, but yeah, Hugo Lloris not very good. Tottenham not very good, which kind of leads to this weekend. And having seen them, and I keep saying this before games, like before the City game, I couldn't see us turning in the kind of performance that we turned in. And before this game, I kind of imagined that the game against Lintz would be quite flat and quite difficult. And I certainly wasn't expecting 5-0. I might have even predicted a one-all draw or something, I think, which is wildly wide of the mark. And I, so I'm slightly reluctant to say what I'm about to say, which is I can't see. If this game goes ahead, I can't see any way Tottenham win this game unless we absolutely brick it for some reason or somehow Jose gets a tune out of this team. But I don't know how we would possibly do that given how miserable they all seem. Yeah, the interesting thing tactically is how United set up. Given that Jose will almost certainly set Tottenham up in a low defensive block because they've got no confidence, that's the only thing he turns to. Uh, and when he needs a result, that's what he turns to. But that's how United are best. Low defensive block against... Uh, yeah, no, Low no, defensive block? Yeah, yeah, it is, and break, right? So defensive uh, block and break... Is, is medium, it, medium defensive block. We're not, we're not playing a high line against City. I mean, now everyone's no, buzzing no. from that. We're all still buzzing because it's great. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, fantastic yeah. goals and fantastic atmosphere. But 28% possession. Yeah. You know, actually create the best chances, sure, but 28% possession and just let City come on to us. As, you know, tried to press for the first 30 odd minutes and then didn't. Um, anyway, so. My point was, how do United approach this? Do we approach it like a game where we're playing a, a Burnley or a Watford and try and attack? And it might play into Tottenham's hands and how Spurs wants to play. Or do we play like we would play if we were playing away at a club that was chasing Champions League football? And how we played against Spurs under Oli last season... Yeah, where we we played fairly defensively and took our chances on the break. Yeah. And and so this is a big choice for United. And and also what system? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, if Oli watched the Leipzig game, I think it's pretty clear that you should probably be attacking Spurs because they can try and soak up the pressure all they want, but they've got a bad goalkeeper, ageing defenders. Their threat on the break is extremely minimal because, to be fair to Jose, I mean, whilst I think his handling of it is real evidence of his fundamental limitations uh, in the second half of his career. They are like, you'd almost say, well, what? who's the worst possible injuries Tottenham could have? All right, he goes down, he goes down, he goes down. That is that. That is really difficult to deal with. Well, sure, not- Son, Kane, and the rest of them are interchangeable. So Sissoko was an important player. Yeah. True. Uh, but none of the others are. No, I'm talking about those three. Really, I think I think those are the three where you'd go. Well, these these are the players we kind of almost can't live without and be threatening. Like you can almost afford. Uh, listen, I could I could eat all these words, obviously, but you could almost afford to play into Tottenham's hands because their hands are rubbish. So, like you're going to play into their hands, and then they'll be like, "Ah, oh, what do we do with this?" Because once they do, like when they tried to hit Leipzig on the break, they just didn't have anything, and and. United's defence has got to a point where it's actually quite competent 1v1. Particularly like Wan-Bissaka and uh, Maguire, they're they're good 1v1. So I I think you can... If I was in charge, I'd play Mata and Fernandes in this game to try and uh, 
work our way through the low block. Yes, I think that's a fair shout. I, I don't know what it has to be matter, but it it doesn't have to be five at the back and James and and Martial up front. Assuming Martial's fit, yeah. Out of, I, out I of tonight's game with a bruised thigh, but I think he'll be. I'm sure it's an abundance of precaution rather than a, a really serious injury. The um, bruised thigh is like an amazing euphemism for massive hole in the leg, isn't it? <laughs> Unless it's a different injury. He did develop a massive hole in his leg. Yeah, barely a scratch. <laughs> anyway, oh, what, me, what do you think the team will be then? Made me feel bad feelings in my tummy. Um, I guess we will see De Gea, Wan-Bissaka. Um, I would play a back four. I don't know whether Oli will. Maybe he'll. Maybe he'll think that it's worth using using the kind of Luke Shaw over like overlapping centre back model and play Wan-Bissaka and then the, the three with Shaw as one of the three and Lindelof and Maguire and Williams uh, and then Fred McTominay. Fernandez, but that means James and Martial up front, and I just think that would be such a mistake against Spurs because there isn't going to be any space for them to operate. You need all your mega ballers, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, Spurs played a back five against Leipzig and still got smashed. Uh, they played Delhi Ali up front. I mean, if United play three, I think my wor- my worry from an offensive point of view is if United play three at the back, there'll be three people marking one. You know, and they didn't have loads of runners. They Lamella and Mora. Mora does get forward. Lamella not so much, breaking ahead of the ball. So I think we could have too many. I think I, I kind of agree with you that four at the back is is the right call for the system that Spurs are likely to play. Not guaranteed, mm. but um, it seems like the better shout. I mean, I also think if we do play a three at the back, I would almost rather see Igalo and Martial. Then James and Martial and play Igalo as an actual centre forward, occupying, pulling people out of shape, all that kind of stuff, and trying to create some room for Fernandez and Martial in particular to do their thing. But but I, I just want to see. I think having Fred, Mata, Fernandez, and Martial on the pitch at the same time is probably our best chance of breaking down a low block. All right, predictions for the game. I mean, I, I feel reluctant to be this confident about Man United after the last few years. So I think we'll win 2-0. I just I just don't think that Spurs are any cop whatsoever at the moment. So it's like my, my football fan brain, as I say all this, is like, stop talking. Why are you saying like... You're making the bad thing happen. Yeah. But, but Daniel Story that- on Twitter said, it's not the perfect measure of a good team, but no Tottenham player looks to be enjoying themselves anymore. There's no fluidity, no fluency that you get when players are upbeat. Everything looks like a slog. Watching them isn't much different. And I just thought, hang on a minute, just swap the word Tottenham for United <laughs> 18 months ago. And that's what we're facing. You're right. I mean, it, it seems hard to see how Tottenham will get out of this funk at the moment. And United are on the up, on the up. I do think there's a how, how we create momentum in this game is important. So we thought after uh, after the win against City about how by making a, a defensive substitution, United suddenly went from not if not being on the offensive, but having a measure of control of the game to not really. And uh, and if Spurs are going to play quite defensively and try and play five at the back with two sitting in front of them, then United 
should be on the offensive. And, and, and also Spurs are not going to be that much of a risk in the transition either. Mm. So we can yeah, take exactly. more of a chance. It's just Oli doesn't always do that. He can be quite conservative as a coach. Yeah. And, and you know, that's not the worst thing in the universe because he's not like, you know, all this Mourinho chat, once again, like, I've got lots of reservations about Solskjaer and particularly reservations about Solskjaer when it comes to the handling of the SAR situation and, and the, the kind of uh, reservations is perhaps too gentle a word. But I've also got lots of reservations about him as a manager. But if you ask me, like, would I rather have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as our manager than Jose Mourinho? Like, this is not even a question. Like, oh, I, God, there's, it's, it's just no comparison. It's, People it's sometimes night and uh, day. tweet at us or say, uh, drop us a line on Instagram thinking we've got an agenda against Oli. We couldn't be bigger fans, but I think we're yeah. fairly honest with ourselves and, and uh, the peeps that listen uh, in our analysis of Oli. But, you know, I want him to be a huge success. Yeah. I, I, there was there was never a point where I didn't want United to succeed under Mourinho, but I wanted to cut my eyes out with a rusty spoon. I mean, it was <laughs> horrible. Yeah, and it's just, it, you know, actually, Tottenham are one of the... I don't have any bad feelings about Tottenham as a club. I, for some reason, that's a, a club where I've got more than average number of people that I know who support that team. And um, my dad, who's not really a massive football fan, has a sort of affiliation for Tottenham because he liked Jimmy Greaves when he was a kid. And, you know, they're fine. Like, they're, they're all right, Tottenham. So I don't wish this on them particularly. But watching Mourinho destroy the morale of another squad, make all the fans go, oh, the players are just rubbish, you know, and, you know, like have the fans turn on each other and all of that stuff. You're just looking back and going, yes, this is why we said all the stuff we said all the times we said it, you know. It's because this is who he is. It's less than a year since this squad was in the Champions League final. Exactly. And, and exactly. of course it went sour under Pochettino. But I'm now looking at Spurs going, was the biggest mistake Pochettino's mistake or was it Levy's mistake, who always gets a free pass for what he's done at the club? Was it Levy's mistake for not re- renewing the squad as Pochettino wanted? He'd identified Absolutely. the downturn in the cycle for this squad and said we need to refresh and he didn't get it yeah no doubt like 100 percent. and then levy compounds that mistake you could say that sacking pochettino is not a mistake but hiring Mourinho was so obviously a mistake and all that pr spin about like i've gone away and learned from my mistakes and all that well well done for learning from your mistakes in such a spectacular fashion and making exactly the same ones three months later. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. Before we leave, we should talk a little bit about the absolute pummeling Manchester United stock is getting in the uh, in the, the stock market. Manchester United share. Now, it's not United alone. I mentioned this on Twitter and got a bunch of people going, well, it's not just United, is it? Really, folks, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> so there's a big... Demand side shock in the world economy right now, especially in the uh, US. What, sorry? Demand side shock. So, so people, investors are worried that companies will not get enough demand from consumers to buy their stuff or other businesses right. to buy their stuff because of travel restrictions, of production restrictions, of supply side restrictions, of people not going out, potentially. Um, people having to isolate en masse and so on, right? So investors are pricing in their concerns. 
and it's absolutely smashing United's share price. I mean, down 14% today alone, currently trading wow. below the IPO price. Right now, United are only just trading above $2 billion. So it's, it's $1.5 billion off their peak price, which was only at the back end of 2018, early 2019. So is this is this um, being experienced in particular across all like sectors? Sports, sports, sports. No, no, no. Stock. It's 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 across all sectors, and I'm sure right. this is because United have been trading traded as a basket of stuff. You know, you'll have a you'll have a asset manager or a pension fund that has a basket of leisure stuff or whatever United is categorised as, and they're selling it off, and it's not. Sp- specifically about football although of course there will be some investors who look and go hmm hang on a minute if games if the season is either curtailed or games are played behind closed doors there's going to be a financial impact there but it's not really that I don't think but anyway so yeah uh, and not that it means as some people have speculated that it's more likely that the Glazers will sell as long-term investors and I'm doing air quotes here for people on the radio Investors to make uh, investors in their own financial future. That's sure, what. they're not going to sell at the bottom, uh, and and they've no incentive to to suddenly try and get out or anything like that. And they can't be forced out, as you might want to do with a tanking share price if you could force them out. But anyway, interesting. Sure. But so this is just not a United story at all in any way, right? No, it's no, just it's a, it's a, a stock general market story. market story of which United right. is one player because it's a public company. The the only impact in any kind of medium term is if United wanted to borrow more money, Right, there's less capital, less equity available. But I, I don't actually see them increasing leverage right now. Right. End of right, hashtag well, finance talk. Um, we will record a podcast on Sunday, whatever happens with the, the, the football. Hopefully we'll have football to talk about. Otherwise we'll have we'll talk about how we haven't got any football to talk about. And then if we still don't have football to talk about afterwards, we'll come up with like some creative stuff and, you know, all that kind of thing. But let's fall off that bridge when we come to it. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, people. Wash your hands. Don't take unnecessary risks. Look after because even if you're not particularly vulnerable, somebody else probably is. So like, let's all be good to each other and leave some loo roll on the shelves. And also cancel the season now. Just do it. Just cancel the season now. <laughs> As someone said on Twitter, Liverpool 18, COVID-19, United 20. <laughs> I have hated every single joke I've heard about this because I'm sick of people making jokes instead of dealing with what's actually going on. But that is pretty. That is a pretty good joke. All right. All with right. that, <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday. Take it easy.